Our scripture reading is going to come from Luke chapter 24, and that's going to get familiar for everybody because our Easter sermon series all comes from the end of Luke 24. And we're going to just jump right into Acts. And Luke and Acts, if you're not familiar, are written by the same author. So we're getting a lot of the same vantage point. And so uh, last week, as a reminder, on Easter Sunday, uh, you, you might in your head kind of catalog that the disciples heard the Easter story and everybody believed and everybody went and celebrated right from the beginning. Um, but we left them where the disciples thought maybe the women's stories were just idle tales. And so... We're not yet at that kind of point where you're used to, where you show up on Easter Sunday and everyone just says, he's risen, he's risen indeed, and, and everybody's all on the same page. Uh, and so hear this story. I'm going to read Luke 24, 13 to 27. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? And they stood still, looking sad. And then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have taken place in these days? And Jesus asked them, What things? And they replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty and deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that he had indeed seen a vision. They had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. And then he said to them, oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory. And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself and all of the scriptures. The word of the Lord. Now, I'm not sure how many folks, I mean, we've had a lot of years to get into the show if you ever did get into the show. Uh, but on one of those shows that just seems like it goes on forever uh, is CBS's Undercover Boss. Anybody ever catch any undercover boss at some point in its trajectory of time in which executives from a company decide we want to go undercover, we want to be like on the front lines, let's do work, let's, let's be in a disguise, and we'll see how things actually look from a different perspective. And there's an intrigue in that of like, what can these executives, can they even do the entry-level jobs for this company? How are they going to feel about the rules, the policies? And inevitably, one of the things that happens is they make these CEOs and executives look very strange. Uh, for whoever styles them, none of them ever go, you want to look amazing in disguise. They always look really peculiar. Uh, because maybe if they look too nice, maybe this might be a, a catch that maybe somebody might notice. Wait, who are you? But they give them really weird wigs and 
And the guys have some weird facial hair that they'll do, and they give them kind of ill-fitting clothes, and they give this cover story, and then you just get what the employees' interactions are like. And, and some of it just feels hard to believe because, you know, it, it's amazing what people will say when they know cameras are running, even if they don't know which show they're on. Uh, but the fun of that tension of that show is will anybody actually identify who this is? Would the person on the other side of this behave differently if they knew who this is? And so there's that tension that goes on. And if there was ever an undercover boss, uh, gospel edition, this is the story. Jesus shows up to some disciples on their way Easter day, and he doesn't come in and identify himself. And maybe if you think about Easter morning, when we think about Mary Magdalene's story, especially in the Gospel of John, she thinks he's a gardener and she's just interacting with him. And then she has this moment of realization when he says her name. And so we get all these resurrection stories where the disciples are just left to be with me, talk to me. Let's see how you interact with me and then I'll reveal who I am. And so these disciples are going on their way. They're going towards Emmaus about seven miles that seems pretty easy if you've got a car. It's a little bit longer of a, of a walk when you actually have to make the journey yourself. But they're going to Emmaus, and they can't help themselves that they're just going to keep talking and talking and talking about everything that had happened. I think each of us know this experience, where you've had some sort of event that happened, somebody said something, somebody did something, and you spent the rest of the day, the rest of the week, the rest of the month. Now, can you believe what they did? Can you believe what that person said? I love like psychologists, sometimes they use metaphors for us. Some people, when they have emotion and difficulties, they bottle it up and it explodes at some point. But for some of us, we hurricane. And so you can't help but keep telling the story over and over to people. And as it does, the hurricane builds steam and it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And you can just imagine these people walking down the road being like, what did they do to Jesus? What? How did this happen? And as they keep telling it, the force of it just keeps getting stronger and stronger. And they are just getting sadder and sadder and angrier and angrier. And Jesus shows up. We don't know uh, why he doesn't kind of resemble himself. If you want to imagine he's got one of those weird undercover boss wigs on or he's, he's done his beard a little different today. He's got a different cloak on. But he doesn't look like himself. And Jesus shows up, is like, hey, what's going on? Uh, they, they're clearly talking about it. And if you've ever been around people talking about something that they're emotional about, you know pretty well what's going on. <laughs> but you're kind of just interjecting yourself into the story of like, hey, give me the full story. What's happening here? And so Jesus just says, uh, I just love how, matter of fact, what are you discussing with each other while you're walking along? What's going on? And I love that the text says that they stood still, looking sad. Like, it's like they've been in that hurricane and then they hit the eye of the storm. They're like, what on earth are you? You don't even know what we're talking about. You're not even upset about what we're upset about. You're not even sad about what we're sad about. There's somebody else that doesn't have the same experience as me, that doesn't feel the same way. Like, what do you mean, what are we talking about? Cleopas turns to Jesus. And sometimes, like, people in the story don't get names. I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing for Cleopas. You know, if some people are like, have these great model stories. And this one is, uh, hey, we finally get a name, which means he probably owned this story. 
and told this story of himself. He turns to Jesus and says, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have taken place? What's wrong with you? Where have you been? Are you the only stranger who has no clue about what's going on? Have you not watched the news? You haven't been on social media lately? What, how do you not know what everybody is talking about? You seem really clueless right now. Are you kidding me? And they're standing there and they've been just struck from this journey and they're like, seriously? And sometimes it's like a wake-up call to us that this thing that you've cared about so much, this thing that you felt, maybe you felt hurt by something, maybe you felt astounded by something, but that not everybody is feeling the same thing with you that day. And you're like, have you been around? Where have you been? Sometimes this happens between spouses, right? Of like, you should be mad with me. You should know why I'm mad right now. Did you not hear what they said? Did you not hear what they did? Sometimes it's coworkers. Did you hear what the boss said? Can you believe the boss did that? And you feel so frustrated that you're like, I'm already mad, and now you're oblivious to it? How dare you? Who are you? What stranger you must be? Because you're not part of my tribe. You're not a part of the in crowd. You're, you're strange. You're different. You're out there. You're an other person. And so, are you the only one? And Jesus just goes, what things? He, he's just so short with them about it. Just, I'm, and this really does, it kind of feels like some of those undercover boss shows where the executives have to act like they don't understand things about the company. And sometimes they don't know, like the low level, kind of entry level, like things that you're supposed to do, that kind of mechanics. But there are some things that they have to act like they have no idea about how the company works, what its values are, what its mission statements are. And they're like, no, no, what do you mean? I don't understand. You tell me, teach me, train me. And Jesus just along for the journey, says, okay, Cleopas, you know, you think I'm a stranger, I'm an outsider about all these things. What things are you talking about? And so then they just verbal, like, throw up the story. And that also feels really true. You know, whenever you, you've had that moment where you could get a hurricane again, it's like, all right, fine. You're the stranger who doesn't understand the story, but let me tell you, because you're going to be sad, you're going to be angry too. Here's what happened. And they just let it out. What is it? I, we're talking about Jesus of Nazareth, the one who was prophet and mighty in deed and word. He did miraculous things. Things were changed. People's lives were different. And he said things that were mighty. It wasn't just deeds, but also words. And he did this before God, before all of the people. It wasn't a secret. It wasn't hidden. And how... Listen to the pronouns. Our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. There's betrayal felt there. We usually kind of relegate betrayal to the Judas story, but they're saying, we had all of this hope. This guy was from God. He did things, marvelous things. He, he spoke amazing things, and yet our leaders and priests sent him to his death. And here we get their ultimate desire. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. This is why they are sad. 
This is why they are exhausted, why they're frustrated. That was their hope. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We forget that if you think about the church calendar cycle with Palm Sunday, when you celebrate Jesus coming into the city, into Jerusalem and the palm branches, and we think about the palm branches, but they are welcoming a king who's supposed to overthrow your oppressors. You're welcoming someone that's going to rival Rome, that's going to take over, that's going to bring Israel back to its power and rid you of all of those who oppress you. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And so all that sadness of our own leaders handed him over to the very people we thought he was going to overthrow. We thought he was going to come in and champion us. We were going to overthrow Rome, and our own people just gave him up to Rome. And now it's not that we have hope that Israel would be redeemed. We had hoped that Israel would be redeemed. Because they didn't see themselves as having any agency. They saw themselves as being slaves, being owned by Rome. We need a redeemer. We need someone who comes in, who buys us from our slave owners, who buys our freedom. We know we can't do it ourselves, and so we put all of our hope on Jesus. We put all of our currency in it. We put all of our, you know, if you're, if you're a betting person, you threw all the gambling bets on that, you're going red Jesus. And it didn't fall the way that you expected it to. We had hoped he would redeem Israel. Now, that hope is thwarted in their eyes because they, they can't see any way forward after what happened on Good Friday, what's happening on Easter Sunday for them. What they hadn't seen was they kind of had tunnel vision. They, their eyes closed in on themselves where what they were hoping for was one specific kind of thing. I know what a warrior king looks like. I know what it looks like to overthrow Rome, and I didn't see that. I saw Rome crucify him. We had hoped he would redeem us. Notice they didn't say we hope that he frees the world, that he saves all people, that he forgives the sins of all, that he helps make the world a better place. We hoped that he would redeem Israel. We want our thing. We want our freedom. And that's a temptation for all of us that when we close our eyes and we get really tunnel vision where this is the only thing that I want from God is just something that helps me. And so whatever's happening on the cross, whatever's happening with the empty tomb, to them it makes no sense because how on earth does an empty tomb have anything to do with you redeeming Israel? I want to be free. And so they just don't have eyes to see anything possible with what's happening. And so their tunnel vision means they don't understand the story of God because they still think God's story is just going to be the warrior king to overthrow the enemies. And so they're they're uncertain about what to do with Jesus. They can't see Jesus in Scripture. He's going to have to explain Scripture to them. I don't even know what that looks like. I guess I think... For us, we would get a Bible out, but probably for Jesus in the story, he just starts telling stories. Um, I I don't think he was carrying a bunch of scrolls and they got all the scrolls out. It's a little bit heavy to carry a bunch of scrolls, but he just starts telling them, hey, remember how Moses was bringing people out of slavery? Remember how he, 
He taught us what God desired from his people, that if we followed his ways, we would get blessings, but if we didn't, we'd get curses. Remember what was going on with the prophets prophets as they corrected people, as they said, look out for the poor, don't just kind of do what the powerful want, but, but listen for what God wants from you. And he's just walking them through all of the stories of their tradition and pointing them to somehow an empty tomb, somehow a cross. And it's always strange to me how Christians sometimes come, get really proud and be like, isn't it silly that people didn't read the Bible and immediately know that Jesus was going to happen? And like, he fulfilled all of the checkboxes and like, why wouldn't people have seen it? And like almost every resurrection story is people having to get a lot of explanation. <laughs> Wait, what was that, Jesus? Jesus walking them through the story. It was unexpected to them. They didn't have eyes to see it. And the biggest thing in this story is they didn't have eyes to see Jesus actually just right in front of them. They're so tunneled in on their pain, their sadness, their exhaustion, whatever it is, that they don't even see who's before them. And I think about how many of us walk around in our daily lives with sadness about something that we feel like we're defeated, we feel like we've lost, we feel like there's no hope. And we could be standing right in front of Jesus, we could be standing right in front of God, we could be in the middle of prayer, and instead of standing and feeling like God can be victorious, we're telling a story that we've already lost. And it's amazing just to imagine this story. They're telling Jesus, we hoped for something and it's done. They crucified Jesus. And I, it's, just imagine Jesus standing there listening They've crucified me. Yep. Okay. Any other part to the story? <laughs> Is that where it ends? But so many of us carry stories about our lives of whether it's a relationship that's been lost, that's been broken. Maybe it's, it's a, a, a kind of life dream, a vision of, of how you could use your gifts, your skills in this world. We have these things in our lives that we've just given up on and said that God didn't do anything on that check that one out, throw it away. There's no hope for it. But what is it to go to God every day and to pray, going to a victorious God saying, God, I wish, I wish it was different, but we lost. Hope's done. There's no more part of the story. And to do that with the kind of audaciousness to go to God, feeling like we've lost every day. So what is it to go on our journey, to go on our path, wherever we're going, whatever, whatever Emmaus you're going to, instead of talking to God about how we've already failed, how we've already lost, how we've given up, having some hope that maybe we might have eyes to see what God is actually doing on that path. Eyes to see others' experiences, eyes to see God's story that's bigger than what I expect. Eyes to expand my hope that it's not just about something that helps me, but helps more people. How do I expand my vision? I want to read for you um, a quick text. Maybe might take some encouragement from Paul. I'm just going to read this here from Ephesians 1. Paul's talking to the church in Ephesus. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him. So that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, 
you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power? So Paul's prayer for them, I pray that you might have wisdom and revelation, that you may have understanding to know God so that your eyes of your heart might be enlightened. You know that those people walking on that path, hurricaning their sadness, did not feel enlightened, did not feel light. They felt heavy and burdened. But that not just your eyes might see it, but your heart might have your eyes of your heart opened so that you might know what is the hope which God has called you to, the riches of the glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe. Whatever great power, whatever great anxiety you have, whatever feels like the big threat around the corner, what is it to pray for God's wisdom, that God might open your heart to see fresh, and that you might see God's power more than whatever thing you're afraid of. Here's what Paul says God's power is. God put his power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet. He has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The the story of Easter is not just Jesus being raised from the dead and just going back to his previous spot, but the idea of this vision of the raising where it doesn't stop, it just keeps lifting and lifting and lifting, where uh, the Gospel of John plays on that image where instead of the Easter morning already doing that, uh, they, it kind of plays on the mockery of the crucifixion and says the sign that he's the king. They are lifting him up on a cross to help us see that he will be lifted up. But that Jesus isn't just raised so that we know that life continues, but raised so that the powers of this world might be reshaped under that vision. And so whatever powers you're afraid of, whatever powers give you fear, is, is all things that are being set below Jesus, who's raised to the right hand of God. And so when we go on our way, whenever we feel discouraged, whenever we feel empty, we want to be reminded that we write the headlines of our own life. We get to interpret how God's at work in our lives. We get to interpret how the people around us are. And for many of us, we get sucked into either other people or other news sites or whatever it is that spreads fear and anxiety and stress and worry, and sadness, and all things that weigh us down, down, down. And if you find yourself getting into that place where it just feels like there's only gloom, Emmaus, that journey, reminds us to turn our eyes, open them up, look for where Jesus is, look for what God is doing, because we don't have to tell a story of defeat, we don't have to tell a story of loss, but one of God's ultimate victory, where love does win. Even when it looks like it's failing, even when it looks like it's fragile, even when it looks like war won't end, we praise God who lifts up Jesus, not the Caesars of the world, 
not the ones who are the warrior kings, but the ones who offer themselves. And that, that vulnerability is rewarded, that God brings life where there was death. And so may our journeys not be one of sadness. May people not say of Christians and of us, they talk about good news, but I don't hear anything. Where is good news in the midst of all of this? May your persona, may your life journey exude that your eyes have been opened, the eyes of your heart have been opened. And so maybe when you encounter a hurricane, you might be able to be a Jesus who walks up to someone and says, hey, what's going on? And maybe we might be able to be a part of God's remedying of the hurricanes that all surround us that you might be the stranger to someone else's tragedy, the stranger to someone else's drama, where you can speak into it, where life might still be springing up in the darkness. And so today, I don't know which side of that Emmaus story you really need today. Uh, if you've come in and you've just been feeling the pressure and the weight of some sort of burden and pain and, and fear, uh, maybe you just need to picture Jesus coming to you, saying, hey, what's going on? And to remind yourself as you talk through whatever is bringing you down that you're talking to God, the one who is victorious. And if you've come in and you've got a, a, a chip to your step and you're feeling like dancing because you're celebrating life, maybe you might have eyes to look around and see who doesn't feel like they've got that lift in their step today. And that you might bring God's good news and hope uh, to whoever needs it. May we all experience our own Emmaus today. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we ask you that you might open our eyes. And that's not actually a simple thing to ask. We know that when we have our eyes opened, our lives change, our thoughts change, our behaviors change. And that things might not look the same when we open our eyes to you and what you do. But Lord, we ask that you might give us a vision for your good news, a vision for your hope, that we might investigate the stories that we take for granted. Lord, I ask for every negative self-talk that people are experiencing, that they're not enough, that they're, they're not able to be loved, that they're not able to, to live out your calling, that you would help conquer those negativities those fears. Lord, help set our hearts, our eyes, our spirits on your victory. Lord, I ask for the courage for those of us to reach out to those around us who might be experiencing uh, that burden. Lord, give us the courage to be people willing to extend that good news, not to hold it for ourselves, but to invite others into it. Lord, we thank you and we praise your name. Amen.